0: Chapter 4 Nenana The Enemies Are Close Nenana loved her husband's strong hands. She loved looking at them. She often allowed her thoughts to visit the times when her husband held her close to him. It was with his strong hands that he sensuously explored her wanting body. Nenana yearned to feel her husband's big strong hands hold her gently. His hands always made her feel safe. As Nananabat watched Hashkeh Yilnapa with their children, she never ceased to wonder at the size of her husband's hands when he held their sons and daughters. She often thought, how could this man face the enemy one day and be a loving father the next? Once when Ninanaba voiced this thought to Hashkeynapa, he stroked her hair and told her never to think of the enemy while she cared for their little ones. the yin, our children are fragile, they are sacred he said in a gentle, encouraging voice. And many times since, she heard him voice how their children are fragile and sacred. When a hunting or scouting trip was planned by the men, Hashkehithnabba could not sleep near his wife and his daughters. They represented life. There was to be a time that was set aside for an observance in which he was to maintain self-control. When hunting, the self-control led to his being able to concentrate and to observe the fact that they would be taking an animal's life and let him be alert in case they came in contact with their enemies. During these times, he could not think of his wife and the intimate times they shared or he could not be distracted by the thoughts of her. These distractions may cost a life, he was told at a younger age. Nananaba always felt fortunate that Navajo society was based where she and her husband settled near her mother and father. Her mother's family became especially close when Hushkeetnaba left on his hunting trips, scouting trips or raiding trips to retrieve what the enemy stole, or when he went to join the fall and winter leadership gatherings, which were held to plan war strategies. Hashkeh was becoming more and more powerful as the years passed, which meant he was away more often. Most families of leaders accompanied the leader to the leadership gatherings. But because of the age of her mother, Ninanaba chose to stay home and care for her mother, her children, and the sheep. Many times, Hashkeyehnaabah told Ninanaba that he missed his family when he was away from them, saying, Nihits'a'tahantish <inaudible> ayon nat ani allah naalli ban altehki shitokha sani nenta etel kitle ta horgan de bamma ya akhaliya tchnitle ebenin nat a horgan de satta ta tchnitle akun naga ya at epitinni danal snile bshi asto ayon ta hasale ayon den nasle When I leave from you, I really miss you. Sometime without warning, just catch up with me where we are conducting the leadership gathering. The women usually ask about you. I usually say she is at home taking care of her mother. That is why she stayed at home. I usually say, and so they usually tell me to greet you for them. They probably miss seeing you too. I also miss you a lot, my little one. I also miss you a lot too, Ninanaba answered softly. After which, her husband held her tight with his gaze, not wanting to let her go. He loved his beautiful Ninanaba. When her husband and her father left for the fall and winter gathering, Nananabot's thoughts went back to the leadership gatherings she and her children were missing out on. The gatherings were held during all four seasons. A different set of leaders led during various times of the year. It was the seasons that dictated which leaders were to be in charge of the welfare of the people. The peace leaders led in the spring and in the summer, while the war leaders led in the fall and winter. As a war leader, the busiest time for Hashkey was in the fall and winter, making it difficult for his family. Winter stories were important to moral character building for children, and the father and the maternal and paternal grandfathers were a major source of winter stories. In the spring, Nenonabot missed being with the families as they prepared the Da'ike cornfield and planted in their cornfield. In an attempt to stop her thoughts, Nenonabot shook her head as she thought of the people she knew would be at the leadership gatherings. She missed being with her relatives, missed the stories the women told, and missed the sound of life all around them. But her mother was important to the raising of her own children. Her mother represented wisdom, and Ninnanabha wanted her children to know their elders were not to be neglected. Although alone as a parent when her husband was away, it was not difficult raising the children on her own. Her mother, her maternal aunts and uncles and cousins were always available to hold a child, feed a child or just play with one of her children. The evenings were the times she favored for it was during these times her uncles gathered the children around them and began to tell stories such as the one her maternal uncle, Naka told of the contact with the Hopi people. He would begin with Shad Achiko Namasatineho no Kinyasani In the direction of the south there is another group of people called the Hopis. The Nabeho Navajos came out of the north to play games with the Kinyas'ani Hopis. Both sides understood the rules of the game It was a harsh game. The Kinyasani had to be constantly on guard and on the lookout for the Nabeho coming out of the north. If the Kinyasani saw a group of Nabeho coming, they were to alert the other Kinyasani who would be out working in their cornfields. If the Nabeho yelled out a war cry, the Kinyasani would begin running running in all directions looking for a rock to stand on. This meant that the Kinyasani had to run fast, for the Nabejo would come on their horses at a fast gallop. The Nabejo were experts at bareback riding. One could see in the distance the men riding, and because they had been riding for quite a distance, their hair tied up in a bun, would come undone and their long black hair would be riding the wind just like the men who would be riding their three horses. It was understood by both sides that if Hikinyasani was able to find a rock upon which to stand, the Nabeho could not touch a hair on his head. He was declared to have found safety if there was a Kinyus'ani who had not found a rock upon which to stand, he was considered fair game by the Nabeho and would be captured. If the Ho left Kinyus'ani country without a captive, the Kinyus'ani would be declared the winners and would be considered better prepared than the Nabeho. If, on the other hand, the Nabeho captured a Kinyus'ani then the Nabeho were considered the winners. In that way, they used to play and make war with the Kinyasani, the children were told. As Nenonabot's children grew older and as her mother grew weaker, Nenonabot stayed at home during the day instead of joining the children and the sheep herders when they took out the sheep and goats. Her family still made it a practice to keep a few hundred sheep near their home, while the larger herd of sheep was cared for by several men in another area. When home, Hashkehithnabah daily reminded Nananaba of the Anae enemies who stalked the hills waiting for a lone herding the sheep. The enemy's preferences were Navajo women and children. The women and children were known to be weavers of beautiful blankets and rugs, and they, as well as the young boys, were also known as hard workers who complained very little. One morning in the late fall, Nanana Bop prepared breakfast and asked her children to get up before the dawn and run to the east. run for the sake of training yourselves, my children," she said as she put the water on to boil for their breakfast of kinesh biji, blue cornmeal dumplings, and Naneskade kade, tortillas. Such tenderness Nanabot felt in her heart for her children. They were the most precious possessions she had, and she made a silent vow to the bright eastern sun to care for them the best she could. While her children were running, Ninanabat took time to heat up some water so she could wash herself. Her heart stopped when her sons came running home. They reported seeing some strange horses on the southern hill. Ninanabat felt a tinge of fear, and wished Yilnapa were here instead of on the hunting trip she had not spoken privately with her husband for seven days. Four days before he left, he had taken his bedding outside and slept in the Chao Ramada to avoid being around his wife and daughters. Now, her husband and her father and her brothers had been gone for three days. Nananabat yearned for his presence near her. She went outside and prayed quietly to the Creator, asking for the safe return of her husband, her father, and her brothers, and then voiced a prayer also for her children, who would be going out to herd the sheep without her or their father's guidance and protection. After breakfast, she combed each child's hair and put it up in a tiel, a tight bun, and as she did, she told them she was going to tie their hair tighter than usual because she wanted them to be constantly reminded of self-control, self-control for the sake of their safety so they would not forget her teachings as they were away from her. As her children disappeared over the horizon with the sheep, they kept looking back, waving at her. She kept looking in the direction her children, and the sheep had gone until she could no longer hear the bleating of the sheep or the happy cries of her children. Nananaba went inside her hoan and wiped her body with a soft rag she dipped in water all the while thinking about Ashke, Yilnapa, and her children. Nunanabat then washed her hair with suds from the yucca root she had gathered earlier. When her long hair was dry, she tied her hair in a knot. Then she began to weave. She was glad for the distraction of weaving, especially weaving an intricate design. A little afternoon, her sons, Nahats'ah, Yanapa, the warrior who makes war around plans, and Egonapa, night warrior, burst in the doorway. With a wild look in their eyes, they told their mother that some strange men rode in like the wind and took their sisters. Detyazhanazapa, little girl warrior who came back, and Zanaba, young woman warrior, We tried running after them, while we threw rocks at them. They cried, choking on their tears. Ninanaba raced out the door and ran to her mother's hogan. As she flung aside the rug that hung in the doorway, she fell into her mother's lap and told her of the disappearance of her daughter's screaming, Someone has taken your granddaughters as captives. Help me. Two horses were hobbled nearby, ones that Nananabat had ordered her elder uncle to bring back. As old as he was, in a second her uncle was gone with yucca rope strung over his back. He loved his grandnieces and did not want any harm to come to them. He began to pray, but his prayers seemed to be interrupted with the descriptions of the men his grandnephews gave. The men's skin was of a lighter color than that of the Nabehu, they said. The clothes they wore were so dirty that one could hardly tell what color they were originally, but the language the men spoke was foreign to the boys, and the horses seemed to be stockier and fatter than Navajo Navajo horses. Ninanaba vowed not to eat a full meal until her daughters returned. The rest of the family seemed to have made the same silent vow. The food prepared at mealtime remained untouched by the family. As much as Ninanaba wanted to pray to the creator, the words for her prayer seemed to not want to come together. Instead, she just put her head down and felt her abdomen, remembering how she was able to keep her precious daughters safe inside her for nine months. Her abdomen felt so empty with these memories. She ached. From the inside out, she did nothing to hide her sorrow. With his hair untied, his face unwashed, his clothes haphazardly aligned on his body, the older uncle began to follow the tracks of the hunting party. Just before the darkness moved in to hide all the tracks, he found the hunting party. It was late in the evening when the tracks of the hunting party and Hashkeh Yithnaba were discovered by Nenonabad's elder uncle. He found them sitting around a fire telling stories. In unison, the men turned toward the sound of someone's approach. Quickly, Hashkeh Yithnaba grabbed his Tsititran spear and aimed it at the heart of the intruder. While the others jumped for their bows and arrows and had their bows drawn, ready to send a deadly arrow into the heart of the elder man, the elder man stumbled and fell into a kneeling position and mumbled words no one understood. Ashkeishhnah jumped over a log he was standing near and gently lifted the older man. <laughs> What is it, he demanded. Slowly, the group was told of the disappearance of the girls. When, they all demanded. The elder man believed it was a day and a half ago. He was told to stay while Hushkeyishnapa and three hunters grabbed their personal items, unhobbled their horses, and rode out of the camp at a full gallop. Hashkeyish told the others to keep their heads low near their horses' necks for protection as they rode through the thick pine and juniper trees. Just before dawn, the men saw the clearing that was near their home. Before his horse came to a complete stop, Hashkeyish jumped off of his horse and ran toward his hogan. He lifted the thick rug that covered the door. Once inside he quickly moved in the direction where he knew Ninanaba would be sleeping. Her sheepskin was outstretched, but she was not on it. He felt around with his hands, whispering her name. All he could hear was the whimpering of a child. He heard another whimper and reached toward the sound. Following the sound, he found Ninanaba sleeping on his sheepskin. He touched her, and she jumped and lashed out, nearly knocking him over from his crouched position. When Ninanaba realized it was Hashkeh she began to hit his chest with her fists. Her throat sore from crying, she hoarsely asked in a loud whisper, Where were you? She demanded. Someone kidnapped our children. If you had been here, it probably would not have happened. She had no more strength to lift her hands. She grabbed his buckskin shirt and felt her weight pull his shirt down stretching and tearing it as she sunk lower she let go of his buckskin shirt and in the dim light of dawn she saw his exposed chest and the red marks her fists left on his chest blinking back hot tears she added do anasinda I have no appetite de anabithnasinda I'm not even sleepy when I begin to think of our girls, I just really cry. She stopped and looked around in a confused manner and continued, I just feel so sorry for them. I wonder in what ways they are being tortured. Having said that, she began to wail. Between sobs, she said, My poor children don't know how to be tortured. She knew from the stories former Navajo captives told that most Navajo captives were not treated very well. She looked into her husband's eyes and spoke in a far away voice. I do not have the strength. I cannot stand it. It really hurts right here. She gripped her heart. (laughs) Ashkeilnaba knelt beside his wife and allowed silent tears to run down his face and mingle with her hair. The sweet scent of her yucca-washed hair was fresh, in the deep breath he breathed in, he felt helpless. All he could say was, Ya, 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 Do little do dada, Ya, as an expression of sadness and loss. It is too bad. As if jerked back to reality, he straightened and asked about his sons. Ninanaba did not know where her sons were. She suddenly felt extreme fatigue and asked her husband to push on her chest to calm down the sharp pain inside her. Ashkeithnabha held his beautiful wife until he could not stand it any longer. He told her he would be right back and left the run to ask about the safety of his sons. After finding they were with their maternal grandmother, he went back to hold and console his wife. She told him about her last view of them as they took the sheep out the day they were kidnapped. At full daybreak, Hushkeyif Naba sent for other war leaders who were taking part in the winter leadership gathering. Before sundown, middle-aged men and older men began to gather. After a hasty meeting was held, it was determined that there was no time to wait. A search party was to be sent out for the young girls. The young sons of Ninanaba were called in. With tear-stained faces, they once again described the men who kidnapped their sisters, followed by a description of the kidnappers' horses. With this information, the men left shaking the grieving parents' hands. Outside, the men told Hashkeyithnaba to stay behind to comfort his wife. They knew how much he loved his Ninanaba. The men knew he trusted them to be the warriors he had trained them to be. They discussed with him the direction they would go to begin tracking the kidnappers. Hashkeyithnaba was being crushed with conflicting feelings. He wanted to search for his beautiful daughters, but he needed to stay behind to comfort his wife, but he also trusted his strong warriors. Once inside their ho'an, Ninanabat clung to Hashkeilnapa, clutching his skin, his clothes, his hair, and his hands. He wanted so desperately to be in search of his daughters, but he knew his wife needed nourishment and sleep. He led his beautiful Ninanaba to the south side of their Hoan, where she slumped down on his soft sheepskin. He softly sang to her and smoothed down her hair. He kissed her hair, her face, and whispered, Nich ah don't cry, my little one. Ayo Aninshne, I love you. Warriors are looking for our children. Go to sleep. His wife slept as long as he held her and was close to her. A little past noon, an aunt of Nenonabah came in and gave Hashkeh Yisnabah some tortillas with jerky. For Nenonabah, she brought a container of broth. As Nananabat drank the broth slowly, she began to lose the wild look she had earlier. Many women who attended the leadership meetings came to help take care of Nananabat, which allowed Naba to silently leave to follow the other warriors to look for his beautiful daughters. There were many visitors to greet information about the search to be collected, or coordination of the search in different directions, and to help butcher the deer brought back from the hunt. Nananabot's father and elder uncle took these chores upon themselves. It had been a year since their daughters had been kidnapped by their enemies. Even after a year, the search for Nananabot's daughters continued as part of their daily routine. Ninanabat was stronger, but cried often, and would look at her husband and say, in a sarcastic manner, that they should have had more babies. Hashke listened patiently, and never gave up hope that one day they would see their daughters again. Time would not heal Ninanabat's heart. She continued to mourn, the disappearance of her daughters. Many times as she worked through her day, she wondered what her daughters looked like and what they would be like. She knew deep down in her heart that she would see her daughters again one day. As she retreated more into herself to keep her daughter's memory alive, her sons became closer to their father and visited their mother frequently. At times when they visited their mother, they were afraid they brought memories of their sisters, so they spent more time with their father. Ninanabat's sons knew their mother was not well. They did not resent her because their father reminded them almost daily that they should have tenderness and understanding toward the woman who gave them life. Nehima, remain strong for your mother the one who gave you life she is really suffering